Hey, base. Do you identify as a conjurer or hoodoo? Maybe a spiritualist, healer, or mystic? Maybe even a bad bitch witch? If so, we, myself and my research partner, are looking for black practitioners within Afro-spiritual systems for a short interview about your experiences within your spiritual practice. If you're interested, please fill out the Google form, which will be in the show notes. And if you are selected, you will receive a $25 gift card for your participation. So if you identify as any of these things and you are a black spiritualist, please fill out the Google form if you're interested in being interviewed. And if chosen, you will get 25 dollars. Listen, we all need our coins. Okay, so can't wait to tell y'all more about it as we develop our research. Thanks so much. Hey, Bays. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bienvenidos, period. A kawaba. Can someone who is um, Nigerian, I need some Yoruba. But anyway, welcome to A Little Juju Podcast, the womanist witchy insight podcast, diving deep into pop culture, the black healing journey, okay, and the ancestral spiritual systems that help get us free. This is the hashtag Black Ass Spirituality Show, and I'm your host, Juju Bay, a psychic, a hoodoo, an Orisha devotee, but most importantly, a bad bitch witch. So what's up, y'all? I hope y'all are doing well. I have been, I've been mostly good. It's a lot, it's a lot going on in Juju land, and I'm just trying to keep up. I had a numerology reading. I got my yearly reading um, at the beginning of the year. And they said this around this time, it was going to be very active. So it's super active. Um, Stay tuned, beloved. (laughs) It's just a lot that I'm involved in, but it's really exciting. And I guess I kind of manifested some of these things that are happening and also... I don't know. I think maybe I'm just in alignment right now. Things just, you know what? Things are just feeling really good. And you're like, hold up now. Did I do this? Is this, was that me? Or am I doing something right? Did I listen to what, did the, the, was my prayer hitting extra hard? I feel like those are the things that's kind of been happening. So I'm taking it in stride day by day, trying to balance, you know, work, life, balance, play, balance. So yeah, it's, it's it's nice. It it feels good. Therapy's hitting. I'm using my tools. <laughs> so I'm I'm good. So I'm really excited for today's episode because I say in my intro every week that I am all these things, but particularly an Orisha devotee. And I know that so many people love the Orisha, whether you are a practitioner, you are initiated, you're a priest, or you just see the Orisha and what you see, you enjoy. Just people love the Orisha. And I'm I'm not surprised by that because they're they're very lovable, they're very likable, and they they make sense to a lot of us who are on this journey, particularly if you are transitioning from an Abrahamic religion and tradition. It's like a good, it's a good opener into the world of ATR, African traditional religion. So today's episode is going to be about the Orisha. I wanted to take a deeper dive, and I know I've discussed the Orisha before plenty of times on the show, but 
I want to talk a little bit about my practice and really like condense how I got into this space and where I am now, because that has shifted a lot since I've talked about the, the Odisha before. So how I got on the Orisha journey started in 2016. Now I had heard of the Orisha prior to 2016, but I didn't really care to learn more. Like I heard people mention them. I heard it being talked about. I actually, when I was a teacher in 2015, I had one of my students, she was talking about the Orisha. That's actually the first time I really like had someone tell me things about it. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm Yamoja, da, da, da. And I was like, okay, girl, do your homework. Like, <laughs> that's what's up. So that was my first kind of trigger. And that stayed in my mind. But 2016, that's when Lemonade came out by Beyonce. And there was all this conversation from Lemonade and the, the videos and just the whole experience. And the think pieces were piecing, per usual. Anything that happens in pop culture, there's going to be a bunch of think pieces, particularly if Beyonce does it. So I was looking at the Orisha think pieces like, oh, she's embodying the energy of Oshun, who is a goddess, who's beautiful, and she's doing all these things. I mean, I knew who Oshun was, but I was just kind of like, okay, is that what Beyonce was doing? Cool. So I'm looking at the thing pieces. I'm watching Lemonade over and over. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this. All right. So I took it further. Like I wasn't just seeing people talk about it on Facebook and, um, you know, through these think pieces, I was like, okay, I kind of want to talk to somebody in these traditions. And so I started to engage in the conversations about the Odisha from what I knew and just seeing people's words about it. So I just started studying. I started Googling who they were. I was watching people's YouTube videos who were practitioners and priests. And that's how I found my my sister cousin, Soro Alafia, who has been in the tradition since she was born who was very well known in the Orisha community. So I would watch Alafia's videos. I'm like, oh, I wish I could know her. She's so cool. You know, she's teaching us. And so I started to form my own opinions because I'm thinking, I'm I'm learning, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, the, I'm getting books. I'm reading, I'm Googling. Like everybody else who is thirsty, like for more knowledge and is really interested. So I ended up trying to find an elder, trying to find a godparent, reaching out to the the YouTube girlies who were practitioners. And no one could really guide me to somebody. And I was in Chicago at the time. So I'm like, well, I guess this is just something that I'll know about from afar for now until I find someone who can give me a reading or find a godparent. And so I ended up going to a poetry slam in like 20, yeah, 16, 17. And there was a poem, it was, yeah, it was 16. There was a poem that someone did and it was about Beyonce and it was about Beyonce and Lemonade. But it was not a poem praising Lemonade. It was a very sincere critique and slight drag of Beyonce and her showcasing the Orisha in this way. Um, basically naming that like it was super disrespectful and these traditions are not for show and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting in the audience like, now I know (laughs) she did not just get up there and try. And mind you, I am not 
a stand, but I am a fan of Beyonce. But when she was saying this poem that was like, to me, that felt really disrespectful. I was like, oh no, she did not just try to come for Beyonce at this poetry slam. I hate to see it. I don't like it. Don't do that to my girl. Don't, whatever. But basically throughout the poem, she was saying that she was in the tradition and she was offended and people within her house, her spiritual house, her Elay were offended by this. So I get home. This is when I was very active on Facebook and I make a status and I was like, whoever was at that poetry slam um, tonight, I don't know who that girl was who got up there and said the poem about Beyonce, but somebody needs to point me in her direction because I want to tell her how I felt about it. And so one of my friends on Facebook was like, oh yeah, that was so-and-so. So she she sends me a message on Facebook like, this is her page and this is her if you want to say anything. And I messaged the girl who did the poem. And I was like, um, I was respectful about it, but I was like, hey, what's tea? Like, why was that all of that energy for Beyonce and talking about the Orisha? Because I personally think that it was it was good that she did this because it it put out a message to a lot of different people, including myself, who are now really interested in these teachings and this tradition and practice. And she responded back actually very kindly. And we got into dialogue, like really good dialogue about her viewpoints, my viewpoints. I understood where she was coming from. She understood where I was coming from. And she was like, you should meet my godparents. Like you should come to my house. I am a devotee. I practice. I've been in the religion. If you're you're like, you're interested, come. And I was like, okay, next thing I know, child, I'm getting to reading. I'm seeing who I'm a child of. They become my godparents. This becomes my god sister. She's someone who helped me when I was getting initiated into the tradition. I was going through a lot of emotional things during this time. For those who have received any Orisha or shrines or initiated, you know all of the things that come up and can happen to you, you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And she, her name is Melissa. Melissa carried me through a lot of that and really helped usher me in and introduced me to people in the house and was so loving and kind to me. And that is how I got involved. It was because I did not like <laughs> my god sister's poem about uh, Beyonce. And I realized throughout when I was in that house, I'm not in that particular spiritual house anymore, but they had their feelings about the tradition being showcased in pop culture in this particular way. And that was just something that I didn't agree with them on pretty often, but it was always super respectful. So Listen, you find your path in the ways that you just don't expect. But I tell people all the time, I am, I'm not a Beyonce witch because I was a witch before Beyonce. But when it comes to the Orisha, I really be thanking Beyonce. (laughs) Because say what you want to say about it. It created a platform and regardless of how we feel, she's, she's spread a certain message. So if you fuck with me and you fuck with the show and you learned about the Orisha through the show, credit, credit to the queen B, okay? So all that to say, yes, pop culture took me, but I also took my ass to the mat. I took my ass to elders. I took my ass to godparents. I got readings. I followed the tradition and I moved forward with my prescriptions. So let's get into what and who the Orisha are. So the Orisha are divine forces, divine forces of nature, 
basically is how I would say. And when I say nature, I don't mean just like forces of, you know, the earth, wind and fire, although they are that too. But I mean, just the, the, the forces that we experience in this lifetime, the Orisha embody those varying forces. So we experience forces of, yes, storms. So there is an Orisha of storms, but we also experience um, the forces of money. So there is an Orisha, there are Orisha of wealth. We experience fire. So there is an Orisha over fire and we also experience water. We experience beauty. We experience sex. There are Orishas that embody all of these different entities and energies. So we interact with the Orisha every day because we can interact with these energies and forces every day. Um, And so when you are in right or good or an alignment relationship with these forces or the Orisha that helps us live better lives as human beings. So the Orisha have a lot of power. They have a lot of Ashe, as we would say in the tradition. They have way more Ashe than than humans, but they don't have as much Ashe as like the creator or God um, or Olodumare or Olofin, all these different names. Um, they are they are pieces, they are parts and reflections of the creator, as we are, but they are not gods. So the language around the Orisha being gods and, and goddesses, I it's not wrong, but I don't think that's all the way right. Because they are not gods and goddesses, they Orisha. <laughs> like that that's their name. They are Orisha. And I think one of the misconceptions that a lot of people have is that this particular tradition, the Orisha tradition, is one that is polytheistic. And that's not true. It is it is monotheistic. There's a belief in one creator and one God, but the Orisha are not God. So that we're not worshiping and honoring them as if they are. We're honoring them and their natural divinity and the forces and the and honoring the powers that they have to support us and to support this earth. So well, let's get into some some history. Um, this tradition, the Orisha tradition, which is what I'll call it, there's many different names that it goes by. But it started in Nigeria, particularly in Yoruba land. Uh, the ethnic group of the Yoruba people in Nigeria. And the religion is, some people say over 8,000 years old, some historians. It has also been named the oldest religion that exists by some historians. So, but we know it's at least, it, we know it's over 4,000. After that, the numbers will shift, but it's old, okay? And up until about, 300-ish years ago, each village in Yoruba land worshipped a specific Orisha. So now you'll see people embody like, oh, I got Ojun, I got Obatala, we doing this today for Orumila, and over here we do Eshu and Elegua. I'm naming Orisha for those who don't know. But traditionally, each particular village had an Orisha over it, and they um looked to and venerated that particular Orisha in their community. So like Elegba, which is an Orisha, was 
and and still is venerated in Iwoto in Yoruba land. The Egungun, which are the ancestors, our elevated ancestors, were venerated in Oje, Shango, and Oyo, Oshun, and Osobo. These Orishas still live there, but I think it's important to kind of have this knowledge of how it goes traditionally and how that shifted a little bit in the West as the tradition changed. Because this is a world religion. Alafia, who I've mentioned before, who is my sister friend, Cousin Soror, she... She talks about this is this is a world religion. So it's not just something that is happening in Yoruba land, obviously, or even just in the US or even just in Trinidad. It is all over the world. <laughs> it is it is a very popular religion and it is only growing in popularity. So obviously, because of our religious warfare, slave trading, etc. Folks from Yorba land, obviously their bodies, their belief systems were taken to other places. Um, you know, in 1530 AD, the Portuguese transported Africans from uh, the West Coast to Spanish mines. And then later France, England, Holland, and Spain became active in enslavement of Yorba people. And so... Also, while this is happening on the continent, there's like mass conversions um, because of Islamic jihads and also Christian missionaries. But folks, large percentages of Yoruba people who were enslaved, they were transported, they were political prisoners, and many of them were like strong believers. Many were priests, many were medicine people, um, high priests, chiefs in these traditions. And so their their spirits and their belief systems were and bodies were taken to the quote unquote, the new world. And so obviously their beliefs began to impact this new land and, and where they were. So a lot of people from uh, Yoruba land and Nigeria in general were taken to Cuba. They were taken to Puerto Rico. They were taken to Trinidad. They were taken to Jamaica. They were taken to IT. They were taken to DR, um, Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela. So all of these places now you can see different sects of Orisha tradition and they are under different names. And of course, in later years, the U.S. as well. So the Yoruba people are spreading, which means the belief systems are spreading, which means the Orisha are spreading. And as it spread into these new places, it had to shift. You know, we don't have the same beliefs uh, and we don't go about honoring spirits the same way in any really religion, the same way today as we did sometimes even 10 years ago. So imagine <laughs> how old this religion is. Things are not happening in the same way. And they had to shift because people are being enslaved. People are, people are being moved across continents. So the Orisha, the images of the Orisha are shifting because they're interacting with different people um, and having, having different experiences. There's also this deep impact of trauma. So the Orisha that we may have venerated in Yorba land may look different in quote unquote, a new world where we might need to fight a little bit more than we was fighting before, you know? So maybe we need to have access to the Orisha of war, you know, more in this land than we did prior. So through this interaction and these exchanges, uh, cultural exchanges, but also cultural interruptions, uh, it's changing the religion um, into kind of what we see now. So 
So some popular Orisha, I think that a lot of people know, of course, is Oshun, um, the Orisha of many things. Let me start off by saying war, <laughs> but also, you know, beauty, um, monetary or, or wealth abundance, etc. Oshun is very popular. Shango, I've read, is the most popular Orisha. This is the Orisha of drumming, because drumming is a very important aspect of the tradition. So this is the Orisha of drumming. This is the Orisha of uh, lightning. The Orisha of dance. The energy of being a ladies' man. Some folks see Shango in that way. He's also a king. Um, so Shango being the most popular, we also have Yemoja or Yemaya, the Orisha of the mother, the mother, um, and also of large bodies of water, rivers slash oceans. Just depends where we're talking about. Um, Eshu, who guards the crossroads, who opens the way for us. Ogun, who clears the way. So Eshu can open the way, but Ogun, if there's any obstacles, removes that. And also is um, over iron um, and war. We have Oya, very popular, who is the Orisha of depends where you are it it shifts whether we're talking about on the continent or not but a river deity on the continent but throughout the diaspora also guards the graveyards also is the owner or the guardian of the marketplace so is pretty much a very strong keen businesswoman um those are probably the main ones. Our Ori, I wouldn't say Ori is super popular, but Ori is probably the most important because that Orisha is the one that we all have, the one that we all carry, the one that sits in in our heads, that guides us. It's our, some people don't like the language of higher self, but in layman's terms, our, our higher self. And so it's really important that we honor that particular Orisha. And Egun, our ancestors, our ancestral spirits, they are also super, super, super important, as well as Obatala. Obatala is the owner of the, the white cloth. Obatala represents purity. Obatala also is one that a lot of queer folks are very attracted to and are interested in because there are different patakis, which are stories of Obatala shifting genders and showing up as, as male and as female and as neither. So we stand Obatala. Also, Obatala be, be with me a lot. So we stand. And that's those are the popular ones. Now, there are over 400 Orisha. That number also shifts depending on who you're asking, because again, this is an oral religion. <laughs> this is a oral tradition. Things have been written down. People have written books now, but people know a lot of these practices and traditions because of storytelling. And so it's hard to quantify a lot of things as we would in the West or say how many or how long, because that's just not kind of how we think about it. 
But all that to say, yes, there's the popular little 10 or whatever, but there are plenty, plenty more that don't get a lot of space. So how I begin to connect with these particular Orisha, it was because I was in a house that, that helped me a lot. I was in a spiritual house and I was in a Lukumi house. I didn't even break this part down. So I started Lukumi. And Lukumi is the, the facet of Orisha tradition, uh, Orifa, that was sort of birthed in Cuba. So there's a lot of, it's a lot of Spanish speaking with Yoruba mixed <laughs> because many people who practice Lukumi and, and or Santeria are Latinx people. It's not exclusive to Latinx people, of course, but many are because it was birthed in Cuba. So I joined a house that was Lukumi centered. The prayers were not necessarily from a traditional aspect, but the part of the tradition that was born in Cuba, again, because Yoruba people were taken to Cuba. And there's a mixture within Lukumi that's really interesting because there are some aspects of Christianity that show up, particularly Catholicism, because Catholicism was a religion that was being practiced in Cuba at that time. So you'll see some blending or merging of the Orisha with saints or with other deities that show up in the Catholic pantheon. And that happened for many reasons. Um, our ancestors who were taken to Cuba, they wanted to venerate and honor the spirits that they knew, but they had to do it in secret because it was very dangerous to, you couldn't just be praising your, the spirits that you was worshiping. You got to do shit differently. So they were able to blend and mix and in some cases hide their Orisha under these Catholic saints. So because Yemoja, for example, or Yemaya, as you would say in, in that tradition, is the, the mother, the mothering energy of all the Orisha who birthed us. I can synchronize that with Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she's like giving that mother energy. So it looks like I'm venerating the mother of Jesus, but really I'm venerating Yemaya. There are also some stories when I went to Cuba about that mixing was also because a lot of children were being born who were mixed of Spanish descent and African descent. And they wanted to basically honor the traditions of both. That's what I was told in Cuba. So I started off Lukumi and I was in a Lukumi house for a couple of years. And then I decided to leave because it didn't, it didn't, it didn't fit what my spirit needed anymore. And that's okay. Like ideally you would want to be in the same house. You start off, you grow with the same people, you get closer to your godparents, et cetera. But that wasn't my journey. And so I also want to say that to people, like it's okay to not remain in a house or you don't have to stay in a house where you don't feel comfortable. People will be switching churches and religion and all of that all the time. You can do the same thing here. 
But I really am glad that that was my first house. And I have a lot of respect for the folks in that house, as well as my godparents. It was absolutely no beef. It was just like, okay, I think I've moved to something else. And I learned a lot from the Lukumi way. Like I, I was taught the Lukumi way. And so I left that. And then I went to a more, more traditional version of Ifa, but it was not quite Isheshe. So that's how people refer to traditional Ifa is Isheshe. It wasn't quite Isheshe. It was more like African-American version of Ifa, which in some ways mirrored some things Lukumi, but it was more Isheshe centered. And I learned other things there as well. I had different initiations there. That's when I became more initiated into growing as an Iyanifa, but what in Lukumi you may call epetebi, but what, what we called it was shode. Basically, you know, I, I know you're probably like, girl, what is you saying? I'm just trying to just give you like how I took different steps within different houses with different godparents. And so in my more traditional house or African-American house, I learned more about how to take care of the mat, how to take care of the the high priest, which we call the Babalao, how to take care of the chief, what to do, how to set up for ceremonies, um, taking care of the guests as they came in, clients, welcoming people into the house, which are very important skills to have when you are in this community-based practice. So I did that and then I left that house because <laughs> it wasn't doing what I needed to do for me anymore. Um, and now I am taking care of my Arisha on my own. Of course, I consult different elders at different times and I still have people that I get work from within the tradition, but I don't I'm not involved or associated with any home in particular. And I think that that's really important for me to name because I know a lot of you ask me all the time, I'm looking for a house. I need a house. I'm trying to find a godparent. I need an elder. How did you find yours? Well, I don't have one. <laughs> well, I have elders. I have people that I reach out to, but I'm not a part of a house anymore. And... I still know what to do with my Orisha. If I don't know, I still have trusted individuals in my circle that I can reach out to. So I just want y'all to feel encouraged by the lack of me having an active place that I am doing my veneration anymore. So we can we can still get things done uh, when it's time. So don't fret or rush yourself in this process because you have time. So in regards to connection, connecting with the Orisha is something that you do already. You don't even know you're doing it. Remember, the Orisha embody the, the forces of nature. And so you're always in communion with the Orisha. If you ever swam in a beach, you know, you're in communion with Yamoja. If you were in like a saltwater space, you ever been to a cemetery, you know, you are engaging with Oya. You ever had some shit, shit was going good for you and then everything just stopped and very tower energy. If you read tarot, you've been in relationship to Oya. You ever listened to drums, really felt the beat, started dancing, feeling overtaken by the movement in the beat. Okay, you've interacted with Shango. So don't overthink 
how the Orisha already are showing up in your life. Now, if you want to be more intentional about that, of course, yes, we know you can find a house, you can find an elder, you can also talk to people who are in the tradition, learn more about the Orisha. Um, Google really is your friend. I mean, of course, everything on there is not accurate or things will change or things will shift, but that's because every lineage is different. Every house is different. Every location is different. It varies. And again, a lot of this stuff is oral. So it's really about talking to people and being in the spaces. All you need is a little juju. Um, a question I get often, can I build an altar to an Orisha? You can, as long as you know that that Orisha does not live there. If you want to actually have the Orisha in your space, that comes through a ceremony. That comes through a ceremony that's going to involve blood of animals. Yes, this is not a vegan practice, honey. Animals are getting sacrificed, okay? So it's going to involve a whole ritual. It's going to involve blood of animals. It's going to involve having to say certain things, do certain things. Um, and you will receive a shrine from an initiated member of the practice, uh, from your godparent, most likely. And that is how you will have the Orisha in your space. So unless you have gone through some type of initiatory rite or ritual, you don't necessarily have the Orisha, but you can honor them. You can put up a little thing like, oh, I really want to connect more with Eshu. So I'm going to go to the crossroads sometimes and I'm going to say hi when I'm there, you know, or I'm going to leave an offering because I know Eshu likes candy or cigar smoke. So I'm going to go and do that when I'm at the crossroads because I know Eshu resides at the crossroads. That's fine. If you, if you want to connect with the Orisha, do it in the natural world is what I suggest instead of trying to feel like you need to build an altar for them when they already exist and you're already interacting with them. It's just about being more intentional about that. Um, definitely get a reading from a trusted practitioner. There's a lot to learn. There's so much to learn. You, you never know everything about this. So don't feel like, oh, I don't know that much. I don't. You ask elders, they'd be like, I don't know anything either. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's super complex and the Orisha essentially hold mysteries. That's what they do. They hold mysteries. Or Ifa, the Orisha tradition is one of holding mysteries. Within Ifa, the Orisha um, Orumila or Orula, depending on the sect, is the one that is said to have been there when we were all born. And basically was the scribe or the rememberer of our destiny. So when we were born, Odumila was there and was like, okay, so you coming in here. Okay, this person's going to be a writer. They're going to be super giving. They're going to have some problems with their mama. They're going to do this. They may lose a loved one around this age. So Odumila remembers all of those things. And so when we go to Ifa, we're asking Orumala to tell us about who we are, really to remind us of our destiny and the things that we promised before we got here or while we were coming here, the things we said we were going to do. Like, so Orumala would be like, well, you said you was going to be a writer and you ain't written in, 
you ain't been writing, so what's going on? Make sure that you write because if you don't write, it could lead you down this particular path. And I don't think you want to go down that path. I mean, it's your life, but I don't think you want to go down that path. Arumala will say, if you need help, um, you know, Oshun says that she will help you to be inspired again to write. So then we'll go to Oshun and they're like, but Oshun wants these offerings. So I'll go to Oshun, give her the offerings to help me be inspired to write. And then something happens, I'm inspired to write. And then I finish the book, you know. It's not that simple, but it kind of actually is. That's kind of like what happens when you engage with it and you get a reading, particularly any Ifa reading, or you consult a specific Orisha and they just are here to help. They here to help. The thing that I love about the Orisha is that they get it because many of them were human. They had human experiences. If you listen to the Patakis, the stories of the Orisha and things that they did, them niggas, <laughs> I hate to call them, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call them Orisha's niggas, but they were wiling. I mean, lying, cheating, stealing, fucking your nigga, beating niggas up. The Orisha were doing all of that. And yet they have reached a place where they have elevated and they are here to help us. So it's really inspiring because they they know what it's like to be. Many of them know what it's like to be human. They know what it's like to have desires. They know what it's like to not want to do something. They know what it's like to want to fight a bitch for looking at your nigga. They've done all of that. They did that. <laughs> they laid the foundation and they did that. So when we learn the stories about them, we're like, okay, that's a possibility. Maybe I should go this other way. Because all y'all would be like, mm, don't do that. Because when I did that, it did not turn out well, baby. I, I walked so you could run. That's it. That's really what the Orisha are. Oh, I keep like looking at them. Um, y'all can't see me, but I just keep looking at my Orisha because they're like, mm-hmm. um, they walked so that we could run. And they they they're so caring and loving and kind and they offer us a lot like a lot if you let them and of course it may come with things that you don't want to hear like with your readings they may tell you things like shit that you don't want to do um i've talked about this publicly before but i don't wear black why because in 2016 i was told i cannot wear black anymore unless it's for work and if I do wear black for work, I got to do this whole thing. And I only wore black. Like, that was my color. Like, I just love to wear black. That's my shit. But the original was like, you can't wear black, honey. It doesn't, your spit, you can't, you can't handle it. You can't handle wearing black because black is a very absorbent color. So when we wear black, we love black, but it absorbs a lot of things. And so me being someone who was super sensitive and also was dealing with a lot of mental health stuff, when I would wear black, it was only absorbing all of the bullshit that was around me and it wasn't helping me feel better. So I have to wear more light colors. I, I was very upset about that. I also don't wear red either because of very similar energy. I'm a hot head. And when I was wearing red, red is fiery. It also absorbs the anger from the world. That's why I was popping off so much. That's why I could have almost went to jail multiple times. Ever since I've cut that out, I don't have those experiences anymore. So they're there to help. They, they may tell you things you don't want to hear, but it's all for your benefit and it's all to align you with your path and with your destiny. 
So there's a few books that I like. Honestly, it's on my website, y'all. I have a book list. I have a book list of books that I've read. Some of these books I haven't read in some time, but I can just link my book list in the show notes from my website and you'll see some of the books that um, helped me. I mean, of course, you can listen to the older episodes. I've I've interviewed multiple priests in the tradition, and if not priests in the tradition, practitioners, and Orisha devotees and Aborisha. We had ancestral herbiary on here. She is an she is a priest. She's a Yanifa, I believe, which is like a high priestess. We've had got to be Ashun on here, who is an Ashun priest. We've had my old godfather on here, a Shango priest, who's also a Babalawo. So there are people on here who have spoken pretty often. We've had a Lafia on here who is a priest, a Yanifa, and a priest of Ashun. So listen to those folks talk and and you know follow them. Look at their platforms and see how you align. You know, with their work, I've I've uh, interviewed Nagara. Nagara is not a priest in the Orisha tradition. She's a priest in Palo, which is a Congo-based, not Yoruba, this is a Congo religion. But she's a practitioner in the Orisha tradition. So not to plug myself, but, you know, we have a Rolodex. We do have a Rolodex on ALJ Pod. Alafia has a documentary. I don't know what it's called, but if you look up her work, A-L-A-F-I-A, she has a documentary about her initiation journey, like through uh, transitioning into Isheshe because she started off Lukumi, which is the Latinx sect, and then she went to traditional. And so I think it was on ABC. Like it was, Alafia is world renowned. So I definitely recommend checking that out. You can probably find it easily or from her platform. Hey, Alafia. Beyonce, music-wise, there's a there's a whole group called Oshun, first of all, O-S-H-U-N. And I believe they're actually both priests of Oshun. The, the, I think they're based in Brooklyn and New York. They have great music. They talk a lot about the tradition throughout their music. They make a lot of references. Um, Ibeji is a, a group. They're twins who sing. They were super popular at one point. I don't know if they're what they're doing now, but they were really popular. Ebeji is, is an Orisha of the twins. The twins are uh, a blessed Orisha. So their name is literally the, the Yoruba name for the, the Orisha of the twins because they are twins. And I'm trying to think if there's any other music. Of course, you can look up and listen to Orisha music. So if you want to learn more, like typing in on YouTube, they got Elegua music. They got songs to sing to Oya. They got songs for... All the Orisha. So if maybe if you've been wanting to learn more about the music or what it sounds like to praise them or honor them or to call them, you can find their songs on many platforms. There's a lot of people referencing the Orisha now. It's a really, really interesting time. Uh, Beyonce references the Orisha 
very clearly and directly, not in Lemonade, but in the song Black Parade. I mentioned this before. She says that she's all shun and she says Solange is Yamaya. She's my little sister's Yamaya. Like, so it's very clear that people are, are super interested um, practicing. I've talked about Jay-Z mentioning Shango before. He said he's a child of Shango. And I forgot what song it was. And he was like, yeah, my wife, this. I think there's something to this moment where uh, people are being more open about their practice and talking about it and creating not just texts and books, but it's just showing up in pop culture. You'll see people wear their beads, their alekes, which are our sacred beads that we wear. I've seen Usher wearing alekes, um, Shaka Khan, Supreme, uh, Shango, I believe. There's the 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 girl the they're in it, you know, people, people are in it and people are starting to talk about it more. So we're really grateful to be in this time because there's a, there was a point where this was underground and it was really, really hard to get information. I know it feels really hard to get information now, but it's really a lot easier and more accessible for us. And so I think it's important that we use this information for good and we're mindful about the things that we share and the things that we don't share, because there's a lot of things that should go left unsaid. There's a lot of things that shouldn't be on nobody's podcast, on nobody's movie, on nobody's anything and certain rituals. But just telling people and promoting the Orisha, I think that's what they like. I think that's what they want. I think they, of course, they would want to grow and want more people to interact with them and the opportunity to venerate them, but to also better humankind and really this world and I think they they hold a lot of power in, in being able to do that honestly so we're at a special time and I'm grateful to be a part of these conversations and bringing this information to people because um it's 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 really exciting and I can only imagine how it'll be in the next 10 years or 20 years Okay, so big shout out to Lois, uh, Janice, Regine, Raven, Sierra, Haran, Malaya, Rakim, and Aliana. Thank you so much for becoming patrons. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, are becoming the patrons because I'm teaching a, a class there, a monthly class on numerology and card divination. So I recognize some of those names because y'all were in class with me. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for becoming a patron. Thank you for sharing the energy of abundance and wealth, the Orisha Ajay. Thank you for sharing the Ajay with me. And I share it back with you tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. May you have the resources and monetary support to create what you are to create and to do the things that you promised, <laughs> that you promised the Orisha and Orumula at the time of your birth. So I hope that you're able to do that. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. 
If you'd like to support me in this mission, get some extra special content, please join us over on Patreon. Anything helps. Any tier level helps. I really, really appreciate you. And also, if you join Patreon, you get to send me the voicemails that we've had in a few episodes and get some spiritual advice, readings, classes, and the updates from me. And there's also ways to support non-monetarily. Thank you for shouting me out when you shout me out and you hashtag the show and you tell people and you help spread the good juju gospel. That is another way to support me. And I thank you. If you would like to bring me Juju Bay to your school organization to speak, teach, do a workshop about hashtag black ass spirituality and religions, ancestral religions and systems, you can reach out to me on the emails at juju at itsjujubae.com. And let's let's work something out, start the journey together. Thank you all again so much for coming and tuning in. Every week it means the most to me. I do this because I have people listening. Because <laughs> if I didn't have nobody listening, I wouldn't be doing this. So thank you for constantly listening and helping spread the message and encouraging you to keep at it, keep going on your journey. It's okay if you don't have a house, you can still learn. And they reach a still care and love you. It's okay if you don't have a godparent. It's okay when the student is ready, the teacher will show. And I've had to tell myself that. And you, you, you have it. Trust your intuitive knowing. The Arisha and your honorable, loving, and gungun or your ancestors will not lead you astray. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week. And remember, all you need is a little juju. Later, y'all. Our producers are Kenya Denise and Alexandra De Palma. A little juju is produced by Domino Sound. So before you lie, I hope you tell the truth. Cause I can speak on what they may decide to do. Protected in my truth. I'm grounded in my roots and my roots now. Non-believers think this is a flu. But there's something about you make me see the proof. I know you thirsty cause you fainted from my juice. But you got it too. You got it too. Yes, you do. And all you need is a little juju. I got libations and calories that owe me tutu. Intention is power and that's the hoodoo. Hey, babe. Do you identify as a conjurer or hoodoo? Maybe a spiritualist, healer, or a mystic? Maybe even a bad bitch witch? If so, we, myself and my research partner, are looking for black practitioners within Afro-spiritual systems for a short interview about your experiences within your spiritual practice. If you're interested, please fill out the Google form, which will be in the show notes. And if you are selected, you will receive a $25 gift card for your participation. So if you identify as any of these things and you are a black spiritualist, please fill out the Google form if you're interested in being interviewed. And if chosen, you will get $25. Listen, we all need our coins. Okay, so can't wait to tell y'all more about it as we develop our research. Thanks so much.